Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond, one of your hosts, and I am here as always with the lovely... I'm Prue Warren. It sounds a lot like, um, with me as always, is Garth, right? It sounds like... That's <laughs> like what Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just Mary and Prue. Prue and Mary, Mary, Mary and Prue. And Prue. <laughs> Mary's world. Mary's world. Right on. Radical. True. Today we have another guest with us, and I am very excited because this is going to be a fascinating discussion that we are going to have with the infamous Mindy Klasky. Hi, Mindy. Hello. I prefer the notorious Mindy Klasky. The notorious. The NMK. Here we are with the NMK. Mindy, you are going to talk to us today about the publishing industry and specifically transparency or the lack thereof. With a shocking industry. And I have a feeling that you might have an opinion on this. Um, Oh, I I always have opinions. I have opinions on everything. Here's my here. This is this is why I was I think I was the one who said, oh, I I need some help here. We were talking with who are we talking with about um, Amazon's bizarre algorithm where you don't know how much you're going to get paid. Maybe it was talking with Kathy Seidel about knowing how much your publisher was going to pay you. There just seems to be this tradition of opacity that writers are not entitled to know what the fuck is going on. And Mindy, you're my you're my font. You're my you're my you're my uh, institutional knowledge. Will you just walk us through traditional publishing and transparency and indie publishing and transparency? It's a small topic. I know you can do it in about thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, the publishing industry is not transparent. The end. See? Hey, we, that we, works. we got it. There you go. Less seconds. than 30 there seconds. <laughs> no. One of the things about transparency that I think is so important for authors is that the problems with it apply to traditionally published authors, to indie published authors, to hybrid authors, and even to not yet published authors who are trying to figure out a path they want to take because the path is completely obscured and nobody knows where to step or how to step or when you're going to fall off a ledge. I started out as a traditionally published author. My initial contracts were with Rock, um, R-O-C, which was an imprint of Penguin Putnam, which is now part of the whole um, Penguin Random House, Random Penguin Empire. And At the time that I got that first publishing contract, I was so excited to have it that I didn't question a whole lot. Now, I say that as a lawyer who spent my day job reviewing contracts, Um, but 
there's this tremendous feeling that you, the author, have been plucked from obscurity and have been placed upon this altar in this rarefied air, and you should be grateful for this experience. And all of that is true, (laughs) but also... These are our careers that we're talking about. And there is information that we should get that we would love to have that is important to us, not just for our personal sense of well-being or our prurient sense of comparing ourselves to other authors, but for us to be able to plot and plan a career. For example, in my first contract, I, uh, I signed a contract for a book called The Glass Rights Apprentice and for its sequel, and for another book to be named later. That player to be named later um, was actually the book that I had written during the year that my agent was shopping around, Apprentice. That's what, it takes so long to do this too. Oh, it does. It does. It takes a very, very long time. So did you not have any lawyer look at over your contract before you signed it? I did not. I had my agent review my contract. Oh, okay. um, and my agent um, reviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of contracts, including dozens and dozens of Penguin Putnam contracts. But certainly at that time, this is around the year 2000, a couple of, year, a couple of years earlier, people didn't hire outside lawyers to look at contracts. Um, you relied on the advice of your agent. Right. Because um, the agent supposed to have some legal background and knowledge of contracts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when I looked at my contract, um, not having outside review, but having my personal legal knowledge, and I said to him, there are things in this contract that I would advise a client never to sign. Um, You give away, for example, the right to choose what format your books will be available in. And so a traditional publisher will decide whether they're going to bring a book out in hardcover and paperback or just paperback. Now, of course, they're deciding whether they're going to bring a book out in paperback and ebook or if it's going to just be an ebook first and they'll see how well it sells. And, and I said, I would not um, advise a client to sign a contract that says you can't determine what format your work will be available in. And he said, you could advise your client whatever you would like to advise your client. But if your client wants to sign with a major New York publisher, um, your client is going to accept this contract term. And so I did, as did every other first-time author and probably most other authors. Um, It would take a major change to be able to update and modify um, a contract. You'd have to be somebody like John Grisham or James Patterson or Nora Roberts before you would get major contract concessions. And so you give up a right to a tremendous amount of decision-making and also a tremendous amount of information. Well, but but Um, Mindy, you have to assume that the publisher wants to make money, right? So. If they say, we have discovered that this format doesn't sell well in hardback, then your answer is, yes, sir. And all of the traditional publishing relationship is built on the idea that you you have a common goal. You have a common interest. You you all want to sell books. I hate the but. I hate the but. There's a major but (laughs) that is coming along. The 
publisher wants to sell all of their books across all of their platforms. And they want all of their authors to be successful. Now, realistically, somebody can say that they love all their children equally, but there are always going to be, you know, except that run to the litter who, and there are going to be concessions that are made when a traditional publisher goes to a buyer for a major chain, um, let's say Barnes and Noble, since that's the only major chain that is left anymore, and says to them, we have 10 new romance releases that are going to be coming out this fall. And we'd like you to put all 10 of them front of store on a table, major promotion, end cap them, make them your number one through 10 books of the season. The buyer is going to say, yeah, that's great. We've got one space for you. What's your favorite? Right. And so the public. And also they're going to charge for that. Um, there, There is also a lot of money that is exchanging hands, and that's all part of this transparency question. Traditional publishers have something that is called co-op money, and co-op money is for the cooperative deals that are done behind the scenes. A publisher pays a bookstore to put an author's book on that table of new releases. Right. Um, how much they pay? The author has no idea whether their book is going to be um, on that table. The author has no idea. Often the editor has no idea. These decisions are being made by marketing. They're being made further down the road and they're deemed to be not important for the publishing journey. As an author, I would have loved to have had that information. If I know that my publisher is so much behind this book that they're willing to spend X thousand dollars, um, hundred dollars, I don't even know what the measurement is of co-op money for a one-month placement or a two-month placement of this book. That's going to give me an idea if they're behind this series that to that extent or not behind that this series to that extent. I'm going to figure out, is this a three-book series or a five-book series or Uh, a ten-book series? Am I going to be building in spinoff characters so that um, I can do, you know, entire other publishing ventures? And I feel very very naive as a reader because I thought the new books department, when I walked into a bookstore, was what was new. It's not. It's what was new that a publisher paid to have put there. That's right. Now we're talking about large chain stores. If you walk into an independent bookstore, um, you're seeing what the owner of that store liked. Now, if you walk into a large independent store like Powell's, I believe they also get co-op, but I'm not sure because it's not transparent and I don't know. (laughs) Um, I don't know how deep into the system that money goes. So that's one aspect As an author, though, you see the use of co-op money as an indication of publisher support. Absolutely. Well, Um, because that determines whether the book sells or not. Because if your book is on that front table and people are going to see it as soon as they walk into the store, they're much more likely to pick it up than if it is one of, you know, 15 other books listed in the caves. And we assume that this is alphabetically. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. This is this is going on now today. The books yes. at, at Barnes and Nobles have been have been put there because of co-op money. That's correct. 
even though most books are now sold digitally online? Well, um, they also sell placements online. Yeah. Um, when you when you log on to Barnes and Noble and there's this lovely banner at the top that says Spring Reads, those are purchase spaces for the most part. Some of them are purchase spaces by indie authors who have bought advertisements that get them into that. Some of them are promotions that the publishers put together. Apple sends out emails every month that says, this month we're going to be promoting romances with best friends, little sister theme. If you would like to nominate one of your books for that, email this address. And if you have enough reviews and if we choose you, um, then your book will be in that banner at the top of the page. And Barnes & Noble Nook Press also has a promotions tab available for authors where you can submit your books to their promotions. That's right. But I don't I don't get those emails. And Kobo does, too. I don't have any best friends, little sisters. It is somewhat challenging to get on some of the lists, like Apple's email list is kept very confidential and they threaten to, you know, take away your candy and your pets if you tell anybody about the promotions. But Barnes and Noble, as um, as uh, Merida said, is available on their website. You can, uh, on their author facing website. But um, rarely but- do they pick just anybody. I think you right. have to be part of some elite group to be chosen even. Same with um, I don't want to lose track of the idea of transparency Sorry. with traditional publishing. Though There's one other major aspect where tra- traditional publishers are not transparent, and that is in reporting sales. Right. Um, as an author, I get a royalty statement from my publisher that says last reporting period, which may be a month, maybe a quarter, depends on the publisher. But last quarter, we sold 100 copies of your book. And therefore, we owe you X dollars. I am completely, oh, they say we sold 100 copies and we had bookstores return 10 copies um, because bookstores buy books on consignment. And so- Uh, The the publisher may sell 100 copies, but then if the bookstore gets copies that are wrinkled that they don't like, or the book isn't selling well, or they just need more space on their shelves, they can return the unsold books. And so those come off of the money that I make as an author. Um, I don't get paid for returns. And so I am completely at the mercy of the publisher to trust when they say, A, they sold 100 books, and B, they got 10 returns. I have no way of getting independent knowledge of those numbers. That seems Um, wrong. Not Um, only that, but if they translate your book, they don't necessarily tell you. When I was published by Kensington, I, they translated two of my books into German and only told me about one of them and I sent think that me that five copies in- of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that fits into the same concept that we were talking about before about choosing format. Um, right. From the publisher's perspective, oh. translations are another format. And the contract that you signed gave them the right to translate And if you signed Mm -hmm. with um, Harlequin, the contract that you signed gave them the right to edit your work. Um, So if they are translating, quote, translating your work for the Indian subcontinent, um, where readers tend to be more conservative than 
Australia, they can take that English language text that they were going to publish in the US and in the UK and in Australia, and they can bowdlerize it. They can take out the two uh, sexy times and um, publish that in India. And you signed away that right too. And you don't know that they have edited your work until maybe you get a copy in the mail. I get boxes from Harlequin a few times a year and I open them up and it's, oh, gee, I didn't know that I had an India Indian edition. Um, I didn't know that I had my German edition put in with two other novels and sold as a boxed set. I, you know, and they're sort of, but I gave away all those rights. So it is no longer visible to me because those rights were transferred. But you find out about them on the royalty statement and you see exactly. Oh, um, Estonian. I had no idea that my book was being published in es- Estonia, and there it is. Wow. Right. That's how I found out about one of my German translations. Yep. Surprise. Yeah. Wow. That's another wild. P- another place that authors can find out about these surprises and get past the transparency problem is to um, log into Amazon Author Central. And if you search by your name, you see different editions of your book come up. And um, that's the way I discovered several of my Spanish language and several of the Australian um, versions of my books was um, by Amazon Author Central. Oh, why? Why? What do you? Why, <laughs> why does Australia need a different version? The idea- do we all say "good day" instead of "hello"? <laughs> I mean, what do they do? <laughs> do they change the spelling? <laughs> the, the text of the book stays the same, and they actually do not change to uh, UK British Standard spelling. But they do change the cover. They um, the covers my, my Australian covers anyway have been very soft co- covers. They have lots of pinks and cherry blossoms and flowers and that type of thing. And they are often in the UK market. Um, they're, they're marketed as by Mills and Boone, which is Harlequin's. Uh, subsidiary that is there. And they are often combined with at least one other book, often two other books as a bundle that you buy in a single paperback volume. Interesting. So those are the transparency issues that exist with traditional publishing. And so a naive person might say, well, I'm going to go be a um, self-published author and then I will get all of this information and I will know exactly how many copies I've sold and I will know exactly where my books have been translated. And I will know, you know, all of this information. And yet the indie published author is still subject to obscured um, practices because we indie authors need to rely on vendors. And so, for example, I publish a book on Amazon and Amazon tells me we sold a hundred copies and we had 10 returns and I need to accept those numbers. I don't have a way to get beyond what they have reported. But I also have a deeper problem with Amazon and with the other vendors. I do not mean just to pick on Amazon because every vendor, every single vendor has a, an algorithm that they use to display books on their site. And those algorithms are protected trade secrets that they have absolutely no interest in sharing with anybody else in the world um, because the vendors 
know that they get a certain number of patrons to visit their site and they are serving those patrons with what they believe those patrons most want to see. And therefore, their business, their entire business model is dependent on maintaining those bonds with the purchasers on the site. And so they're going to keep their algorithm secret, which means that I, as an author, have no way of knowing how they're choosing, how heavy is their thumb on the scale as I'm trying to sell my books, as I'm trying to get my books out to the public. And this Um, is why Amazon ads are so hard to measure. You can't, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to what works and what doesn't. Right. If you go on to Amazon or any of the other vendors and you do a search for best-selling um, some type of fiction, best-selling Regency romances, you will see a list of, on Amazon, it's the top 100 best-selling um, romance regencies and the top 100 free best-selling romance regencies. Um, and those are two separate lists. And there were there are certain things that you would predict would be on that list. As of this recording, Bridgerton is extremely popular on TV. And so you would expect Bridgerton to be extremely popular on the best-selling list. And in fact, Bridgerton books, I'm guessing, I don't have it in front of me right now, but probably filled the top 10 or 15 spaces on the paid book list. Mm -hmm. And then immediately after them, you will see books by authors that you are not familiar with, um, who are indie authors who are publishing through the Kindle Unlimited program. The Kindle Unlimited program is Amazon's program where they require authors to be exclusive with Amazon. And they favor those books. That is part of their private business domain. And whatever algorithm they use to calculate bestsellerdom heavily favors Kindle Unlimited. And if you look at the bestseller list, you will see KU, Kindle Unlimited Books, go much, much higher than standard wide books that are sold across multiple vendors. Um, We don't know what the algorithm is exactly. We can make some business decisions. We know that if we go into KU, we're going to get some favorable treatment from Amazon, but we don't know how much. And so trying to make business decisions becomes very, very difficult with all of that information obscured. No kidding. Now, I would also like to touch a little bit on how you get paid in KU, which is also extremely (laughs) obscure. Right. The way you get paid in KU is Amazon puts a gigantic chunk of money, $30 million, $45 million into a pot. And then Amazon counts up how many pages of every book in KU have been read. And they say there have been a billion pages that are read. And so we're going to divide the $45 million in the pot by the billion pages. And that's how much a single page read is worth. And we're going to pay each author that little teeny tiny fraction of a dollar on um, every page of their work that has been read. But because that doesn't adequately reimburse, doesn't pay people enough to get major authors invested, we're also going to pay 
bonuses to certain authors. And I just learned about that for the first time. I didn't even know that they did that. (laughs) Um, They pay all-star bonuses um, to authors who sell enough in one category. Now, up until April of 2022, those bonuses were paid out based on authors' sales of all of their books in all genres in KU. And they would look at all of those and they would say, you, Alice author, are one of the top 10 sellers. And so you're going to get a $100,000 bonus this month. And you, Randy Ryder, are one of the top 50. And so you're going to get a $10,000 bonus this month. As of May 2022, they have changed it or they have announced a change that has not yet been implemented that is going to award bonuses on the basis of books that have sold well rather than authors that have sold well. And so an author may have a best-selling book and may get a much smaller than $100,000 bonus, um, but get a bonus based on that book. They say that more authors are going to share in the pot. Um, The authors who have been all-star authors are not happy with this change because they're most likely going to be earning less than they will because even the most prolific authors don't have enough books in any one reporting period to equal the huge amounts that they were making under all-star bonuses. But all of that is obscure who the authors are, how many you have to sell, what, um, how long, in what time period they have to have sold in. If you have a one-day sale where you somehow, through ads that you've purchased and other communications, you end up selling uh, 500 million pages in one day, do you get paid the same amount as if you get those 500 million pages read over? Who knows? And it's all completely behind the curtain. And we have no idea of how that works. Do you believe it is, okay, when they do the division, when they say, here's the pool of money that Kindle Unlimited readers have put into the pot, less our profit, uh, we're dividing it by the number of pages read, does everybody get an even distribution of that? Do you think that some people maybe get a little bit more and some people get a little bit less? If, If I'm a new author and I've only sold 15 books this month, am I still drawing the same equivalent as if I had sold 500,000 books this month? I personally believe that once they have calculated the value of a page read, that they use that same value to award the author who has had 10 pages read and the author who has had 10 million pages read. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the multiplier stays the same, but it may not. There may be a sliding scale in there. They say that it stays the same. And so it would be fraudulent for them to award different amounts. But all of that comes as authors, as individual authors, we don't have any way of measuring that. Right. There's Um, no, there's no accountability. We can talk to each other and we can say, hey, I got an all-star bonus and I sold this many books. Did you get an all-star bonus? Well, how many books did you sell? And we can try to figure out some of those lines. But let's face it, a lot of people don't want to share their personal finances. Um, And a lot of people who say they're sharing their personal finances 
expand those numbers somewhat right. spirit <laughs> of self-protection. Um, and so, uh, so authors may not be transparent to each other. The only Plus you also are making decisions based on the information that Amazon has volunteered to give you. I mean, you're right that they cannot behave fraudulently, but I, I just feel as though we're taking a big leap of faith to say, oh, they must always report honestly. I mean, um, no one's I, no I, one's watching. Th- there is nobody, nobody can watch. watching the show. Right. right. They they There's make no it so option. that you can't. Right. And there is an outside possibility that somebody could pay to have their accounts audited. You hire a an, a trained accountant, a forensic accountant, who goes in to audit these accounts to see exactly what is going on. And I believe um, very deep in the, you know, we've all signed contracts. All of us indie authors have signed contracts with Amazon, the Mm -hmm. terms and conditions um, by which they distribute our books. And very deep within the TNC, the terms and conditions, there is a clause that says you can have your accounts audited. You're going to have to pay and you're going to have to bring in your own accountant and you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to arrange and you're going to have to be physically present at this office. You know, they make it incredibly expensive and incredibly difficult. And no individual author is likely to take that step. But author organizations could take that step. Romance Writers of America or Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association, or Horror Writers of America, or Mystery Writers of America. Those organizations have enough heft that they could choose a member or two members, choose one highly performing member and choose one new entrant into the field. And they could hire an accountant and pay for an audit of a top performer and a new performer and see what what discrepancies are there? See what is being hidden in these non-transparent ways. And they may come out and say, you know, within a margin of error of two or three percent, everything is completely above board. Or they may come out and say, after our examination, it appears to us that there is a variance of 75%. Right. And we have no way of knowing. But nobody's done that yet. No. <laughs> Squeak that wheel, Mindy. Make them do it. Come on. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah, you know, the writers' organizations have a lot of things on their plate, and there are a lot of internal politics and internal fighting that goes on. And they and and they have members who say, "I want to learn how to write. I don't really care about." sales you know the, the discrepancy that may be out there that I, I that's so far beyond my current interest just give me a good session on craft because that's right. what i need right now right right well well that's annoying <laughs> <laughs> the other the other parallel i'm seeing is in facebook ads because you can't the model that Facebook and Amazon both were built on is a lack of transparency. Right? Obviously, Facebook and Amazon are doing different things, but neither one of them will explain why an ad worked this week and absolutely dies the next week. That's right. 
And I'm, oh. I, obviously the am the Facebook ads are going to affect more than just authors, but all the same, this is the same. This is the pattern that we keep seeing over and over again: is that authors are denied information. And you know, even if you um, ask them straight, point blank, why did this ad work? Why was this ad shown to five thousand people, and the identical ad with a different image? was shown to 10 people. Why is that? And if you ask them point blank, they will not answer you. What they will answer is that is our trade secret algorithm and we're not going to share that with you. Yes, they will say, oh, it's just the algorithm. Why don't you spend some more money and run some more ads? That is their answer. You know, the idea behind all of the advertising platforms is that the algorithms, these black boxes that we can't see inside, are able to determine what appeals to different users of the system. And because they know that Mindy Klasky stops and looks at videos of border collies herding sheep, that therefore I'm going to be interested in cozy mysteries that have border collies on the cover. And so they're going to show me those. And so if an author has a cozy mystery that has a border collie on the cover and has a um, triple chocolate cake on the cover, they're going to show me the the ad that has the border collie because they know I've looked at border collie herding videos. I think it's weirder than that. I think if you watch border collies herding sheep, they know that you're going to be interested in nasturtium seeds, right? I mean, they they make these huge leaps. And they're often right. Absolutely. Um, They also know what you searched for on Google outside of Facebook. Right. There are a lot of things that are working there. First of all, Amazon remembers every search that has ever been conducted under my account. And so, and they don't, what they don't know is that I was searching for the Richard Scarry book for my nephew, not for me. You know, they, they, and they don't know that I was buying goldfish crackers for my next door neighbor and not for me. Um, And then you add in the author research, right? That's right. Counterfeit a $10 bill. I'm like, I'm always, (laughs) oh, this is going to, this is going to change my algorithm. (laughs) Um, But, but they do that. And then they also rely on the cookies, the little pieces of code that are installed on your computer when you go to a huge variety of sites, Um, the vast majority of websites that you go to install cookies that are designed to make it easier for you to get back to that site and get back to the work that you're doing on that site. So I go to my grocery store to order groceries in the middle of the pandemic, and I'm always going to order milk and Oreos Um, because who wouldn't order milk and Oreos? Um, And so my grocery store is going to remember that. But Amazon is also going to see those literal cookies and um, say, um, we're going to serve up books, uh, cookbooks about baking cookies. And, And so, and then as Prue was saying, they expand that network and they say, People who like Oreos also tend to be people who like really cozy um, blankets. And so 
um, we find that 75% of the people who have ordered Oreos through Amazon have also ordered fleece blankets through Amazon. So we're going to start serving Mindy ads of fleece blankets. In a, now, all of that is functioning behind the scenes and all of that is in this black box and all of that is transparent to me, the customer of Amazon and to me, the author on Amazon, because if I know that people who buy cookies also buy fleece blankets, I may very well decide to add fleece blankets to my next cozy mystery because it's going to appeal to my readers. But I can't see that. That's all transparent or, or not transparent. Not transparent. Hidden from. Yeah. It's hidden yep. from. The transparency topic goes deep. Um, and the, the, the pattern of obscurity for authors over, over time from traditional publishing to indie publishing, if you think about it, makes you kind of pissed off. <laughs> we're settling. We're settling for this. We're settling for this. We're being handed our royalty checks and we're saying thank you because all authors believe sooner or later someone's going to find out I'm not really an author, right? I mean, there's there's that uh, that sense that Oh my God! Someone bought my book, and that's supposed to be enough. We have to. We need to. We need to band together. We need to band together, writers. No, um, imposter syndrome is imposter syndrome is part of it. Um, I am sure that psychologists would have a field day and say, "I I don't know what percentage of authors are female as opposed to male." I know that there are studies that um, show that females tend not to challenge systems as vigorously as males do. And so I suspect that there are probably more traditional contracts given to men, that there are more indie authors who are women, but that these transparency issues probably are tied in with those psychological aspects. There are a lot of reasons for it. To me, the solution for it would be author organizations taking the lead and requesting, demanding an audit and following through. Okay. <laughs> I'll pay, I'll pay my share of that case. That's cool. Mindy, I, I look to you as a guiding light. Thank you. Thank you for these horrifying words. <laughs> <laughs> now go to sleep and dream sweet dreams. And <laughs> And don't forget to check your sales numbers before you go to bed. Oh, That's God. right. That's right. Or just just trust in Big Brother. Trust in Big Amazon. They won't hurt you. Everything's <laughs> fine. Uh, Mary, next week you and I are talking to Kathy Gillis Seidel again, who is going to. She's read two of our books. She's read one of mine and one of yours, and she's yeah. going to talk to us about the imagery we used. And what she liked and where she saw opportunity that we missed. And I am horrified and really excited about it. <laughs> if listeners want to play along, Mary, you chose your book, Token of Love. Yes. Right? And I did uh, Ellen and the Would-Be Gigolo. So if you want to read those books beforehand so that you can chime in with your thoughts, at least to your, to your speakers, go ahead. That would be fun. <laughs> in uh, fact, you could chime in your thoughts by emailing us. You could, but it won't be live. But it, it <laughs> so, won't no, be live. Too bad. <laughs> we could discuss it later. And coming up, we have Dave Chesson from Kindlepreneur, who's going to come and talk to us about their new platform. 
their Atticus platform, which I think is going to be pretty fascinating. I'm a big Kindlepreneur fan myself. Yeah, it is going to be very interesting. I have been using Atticus in anticipation of our conversation with Good Mr. Good for Chesson. you. Good for you. Good for you. All right. All right. Now, I, I guess I better go and use it, too, and, and come up to speed so I can ask intelligent questions. Uh, thank you so much, Mindy. We're thank very you, Mindy. Grateful. This was really fascinating. Uh, my pleasure. It's fascinating and it's frustrating. Yes, <laughs> it indeed. Is. Yes, it is. Next time, we're going to talk about craft. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you next week, Mary. All right. Thanks, Prue. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Thank you.